Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at bkcwest.com. All right, you guys ready? We've got football Sunday. And so what we do on this Sunday is uh, we just, we take a Sunday where we have a one-off message. Uh, We share some testimonies by some NFL players that follow Jesus and uh, share their story a little bit and 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 an encouraging message. So that's what we're doing. By the way, all those goodies back there, uh, feel free to grab and refill. There's hot chocolate, there's stuff to put in it, there's coffee. Feel free to get up and and do that during the message. Um, Just, uh, um, you know, feel free to enjoy yourself, okay? Don't be shy. So, all right. So the investment on this day is pretty incredible. Like the investment into uh, football, into sports, into Super Bowl. Uh, the investment into sports in general is, is really uh, crazy worldwide because uh, it's really the universal language. Like if you really want to communicate with other uh, people that you don't know the language, play sports with them. Uh, Michelle, my wife and I, we did this with youth and in uh, when we were youth pastors in our early 20s, we took youth to, to Scotland, and, and you think, is there a different language? Yes, there is. Uh, you know, it, and, and you think, uh, you know, we went to Thailand, and, and with different, you know, we, we'd play sports with people. We'd play soccer, or volleyball, or basketball, and all of a sudden, the walls go down in the area of sports. Well, uh, with sports, because they're so important, because they're so good, there's great expectations, Right. Like, that's why these days you have uh, rules that, uh, that are shared amongst, uh, uh, you know, not just the kids playing the sports, but amongst the parents, right? If, you, if your kids play a sport and they say, hey, not only will you read the rules of how you're supposed to act on the sidelines, you also share those with your family that comes to visit too, because we want you to be kind to the refs and, we, and these are things you do. So uh, there's just a big focus on sports in the world. Um, Today, financial investment, uh, the National Retail, Federation, uh, National Retail Federation says that this year's Super Bowl is expected to generate uh, roughly $14.6 billion in spending nationwide. So it, it works out to about $79. Each person will spend $79. You know, so whatever you're going to eat, whatever you're going to barbecue, whatever things you're going to grab and invest in, that's, that's what they say is each person will spend $79. Now, companies spend even more. Uh, 20 years ago, uh, 2002, uh, you would have to spend $2.2 million to get a 30-second ad on the Super Bowl, okay? Now, it's $6.5 million for a 30-second ad. That's what companies are paying. So when you watch and you look at that, now, that's just not inflation. Why is it so much more now? It's because it works. It's because when you see that on there, Typically, we're going to go buy that, or at some point, like right now, or we're going to go buy it at some point, or we're going to share it with somebody else. We're going to say, did you see the such and such? And then you have a bunch of people sharing their company. They wouldn't invest in it unless it worked, and and because nobody invests in something if it doesn't work. And so they just keep going back to it Um, because the ads perform, right? They pay the money because the ads perform, and uh, everyone wants our teams to perform, right? 
Uh, we, we want them to do well. If, and uh, I, my oldest son, he, uh, he grew up a Chargers fan because I was a Chargers fan. And, and so he heard a lot like, what are you doing? And so when he watches football, watches the Chargers, I hear often, what are you doing? You know, because the people aren't performing or the player's not performing. So we have, we have high expectations uh, for people to perform. Even if you don't have a team in the game today, what do you want if you love the game? You just want them to perform enough so there's a, a good game. So you enjoy it. It's enjoyable. Um, well, how you perform in your position really defines whether you continue at your position. Isn't that true? So we could watch today, and if there's a player that doesn't perform, oh, they may be gone next year, right? I think you saw that with some of the Chiefs. They, at the end of the season, said, this guy hasn't been performing, he's going to go. Or a coach isn't performing, he's going to go. So pragmatically, that makes sense. That if you don't perform at what you do, you move on. Surface level, that's good. But even for world-class athletes, it's a trap. Because that's what the coaches and the players, they, everybody wants them to do, is you watch these guys today, their sole job is to perform at their job. But if they actually make that their goal, to perform, it's a trap. And it's hard not to, because we live in this society of performing. Like, if I can just keep performing, then everything's going to be okay. If I can just keep performing, if I can just do enough, then everything's going to be okay. Well, the problem is, is that if if we live by performing, if I can just produce and perform and perform, uh, my identity becomes that. And now I'm wrapped up in whether I perform or not. And think about this, like whatever you're really good at, like whatever you perform in, there was a time where you could not perform that way. There was a time that you couldn't do that. Were you worth less? And also, too, there's going to come a time where you can't perform in what you're really good at. Your body, your mind, your abilities will no longer be able to hold up that performance that you're trying to do. And there'll be more of a weakness even in that area. You won't be able to do it. So are you worth less when you can't perform that anymore? Do you see what a trap performance is? It's important, but if we put our identity in it, then we get in trouble. So it's a, it's a trap. So uh, it shows up in all of our relationships and activities too, right? Uh, so I found 10 warning signs that you may be in a performance trap uh, listed by a leadership spiritual direction coach. He says, uh, you, these are sign, warning signs that you may be in this performance trap. Uh, you succeed on a fairly regular basis, but even minor failures are devastating. You beat yourself up or tear down others when things don't go your way. You can't relax and enjoy life because your striving keeps you too busy. You are too important. Too much depends on you. You can't say no. Your family and relationships suffer because of your unrealistic goals the time you spend focusing on your goals and not your relationships, or you feel they don't support you in your hard work. It's all for them, right? You find yourself avoiding people or things so you don't feel failure, disapproval, or rejection. You live a rules kind of life. You follow the rules as everyone should, and you end up lacking grace. You may have great spiritual or biblical knowledge, but you're spiritually dry. 
Your solution to all challenges is to work even harder, and you will not tolerate failure. You experience frequent bouts of anger, resentment, or depression. Are you guys encouraged yet? Okay. You must be in control or you become a critic. You're defensive and justify all your actions when questions, and you're aggressive or or you're passive aggressive. So a biblical character that we read in scripture that would fit this is King Saul. Okay. So if you look up First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, you, you ring King King Saul. He's the first king of Israel, and <clears throat> he was he had all the stuff. He was the complete package. You know, he was good looking. He was tall. He was admired. Everybody just wow, amazing. And he ended up being the first king of Israel, and he failed miserably several times. He was disobedient to God. That's not the problem, though. The problem was is that he lived a performance-based life. And so if he failed, he just figured he would just perform more. He'd just perform better. He'd just get it back. He'd perform, get back with God. See, he failed to understand what David, the second king of Israel, wrote, which is a humble and a contrite heart in Psalm 51, God is yet to deny. And David pinned that after he failed. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He was a king, and he was described as a man after God's own heart. So he failed miserably. Saul failed miserably. But David was able to live this different life that wasn't performance-based because he understood that it was grace. It wasn't based upon his performance. It was just God's grace. And so athletes in any sport or people in any walk of life um, can get by for a bit by performing. Like, you can push it. And that's why we perform, because like we think, okay, we can do it, we can do it. But after a while, if that's our foundation is performing, the platform will not be big enough, will fall off. And uh, I found this out in high school. Uh, there was a high school football game, and we were playing uh, another big team we wanted to beat real bad. And, and so I hadn't gotten into the game yet, and <clears throat> it was tight game, back and forth, and the other team was driving. I was defensive lineman. And so uh, they put me into the game, and I'm excited. Let's go. Let's go and get down. And, and so uh, as a defensive lineman, typically you have an assignment. You're going to go through a certain gap. You're going to take a certain area. You hold a different spot. And so, so I, uh, I remember to this day, and, and the guy got the guy, and, and you know, we locked up, and I held the space. And the, the whole problem is, though, is I didn't know uh, my, the linebacker is my friend. He, he said, come on, Busick. I'm like, what? I thought I did pretty good, you know? And, but the problem was is that I had a certain gap I was supposed to fill. And when they called the play or the, the formation that we were doing in defense, uh, I, I thought I didn't know what I was doing. I remember to this day, I'm like, well, I think I'll do this. I think that's what I'll do. I, I couldn't perform. I thought I did pretty good until my friend told me. Next play, I was out because I didn't do that. Now, what I should have done is I should have paid attention more and I should have prepared. And so that's the first thing that is a, uh, it's, an, it's an alternative to performing. Because it's not just sitting back and just saying, well, I'm just not going to do anything. There's an alternative. There's action that we take in, in, in uh, preparation is the first one. So in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, we see this parable that Jesus shares. And it's a parable about building. Luke, I'll, I'll, I got it. Thank you. Um, uh, it's a parable about building. And uh, we're all builders. We're all building a life. 
Ever since you were little, you, you started to figure things out and take information in and you started building a life. And so in this story though, uh, there's a difference between each type of person. And so let's see if we catch it together. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So what separated the two builders? They both heard, they both listened, they both were building, but the difference is, is the first builder heard what Jesus said and then did those things. So take it to the principles of life, right? There's certain principles that are unchanging in life. And you can apply them to anything. You can apply them to relationships. You can apply them to health. You can apply them to finances. If you take those principles and you follow them, you will build upon a firm foundation. But if you just know the principles, but don't actually implement them and implement something else, then you'll build upon a bad foundation. So it's not that the second person didn't think that building was important. They built probably with as just, just as much skill as the first person. They built their house gloriously and they went about it and they wanted to have a good life and a good house, but they didn't care about the foundation. They didn't make the foundation what was most important. Now, both people too had the things of life come up, the storms of life, the torrents and the rains and those things. The first person's house held because it was built on this foundation of the solid principles of Jesus. And look at it this way. If you do what Jesus says to do, it's a way of saying, I don't know what today holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds or a week from now or what's really going to happen. I mean, nobody really does. I mean, weather people try to tell the weather, uh, economic people try to tell the economic forecasts, uh, right? Everybody tries to figure out what's tomorrow, but nobody really knows what's going to happen. And so if I say, I'm going to put everything upon Jesus, it's humbly saying like, he's strong. He can handle it. But if we don't do that, then we say, eh, it's not important. What I can build and what I can do is enough. And so that's preparation. It's preparation in building for things because God's ways are different than ours. God does things different than us and, and ultimately he's in control. Like even though it feels like it because we can be so empowered and we can be so right and we can set our goals and we can achieve those and we can go after things and we feel like we are totally in control, we absolutely are not. We are in the midst of just so many headwinds and so many different forces in life that, that come against. And there's so many factors that come into our success or failure. And so what we can focus on is not whether we can change everything or change the whole environment. We can focus on what we can influence, which is implementing the things that Jesus says. Now, uh, Michael, T Michael Thomas, he's a safety for the Cincinnati Bengals. And so... Uh, 
I don't know who you're rooting for today. I don't know if you even care being here in Kansas City, right? But Bengals and the Rams are playing. And so we've got a testimony from, from uh, Bengals guy, Rams guy. And so uh, Michael Thomas, he actually, he's a 10-year veteran. He's a well-known player, went to the Pro Bowl. Uh, his rookie year, he was with the 49ers. Uh, when they went to the Super Bowl, he didn't play. He was on the practice squad, building his way up. But he played for the Dolphins. He played for the Giants. He played for the Texans and doing really well. But then coming into this last season, he didn't have a spot. 10-year career, veteran, very good, still at the top of his game. He's only 31. But there wasn't a place for him. There wasn't a place for him coming into the season. Nobody wanted him. The Texans didn't want him. Uh, No other team wanted him. But then the Bengals signed him uh, in October. So he didn't get to go through training camp with the guys. He didn't get to play some of the first games. And he didn't actually get into the games because he, he learned the system and stuff, not even until November. But now he's a major influencer on what's happening. He's a major leader on what's happening. So let's, let's listen to his story and how he uh, actually built a foundation for this time. I want to ask you this as we wind down, Michael, and I really do appreciate your time. I'm so happy for you and so excited for this opportunity as it continues for a one more game. When you think back to where you were October 4th, the day before you signed with Cincinnati and where God has brought you to now, what do you think is the biggest lesson thus far? Because you might have a new lesson in the next couple of weeks that takes shape, but what's the biggest lesson thus far that you think the Lord has shown you over the past three to four months since this opportunity with the Bengals has, has taken shape? Um, uh, touched on it. I think when you asked the first question, man, it's just regardless of what our plans are, and you know, we think we've mapped it out, and you know, you know, you know cross our T's, dotted our eyes, and made sure everything was right, and this is how things can work. God, like, nah. God always says, I got something better for you, and I'm a wild you and amaze you every single time. So just wait. Sometimes you got to be still. Sometimes you just got to listen. You know, and. and I, you know, I, I tell the young guys, and I, you know, I'm like, okay, I was on practice squad at first when I signed, and I thought my role was to be, you know, leadership. You know, we had a fairly young team as leadership. I tell them if they're not in the situation they want to be in, just wait. God works in mysterious ways. They that wait on the Lord, you know, shall renew their strength. I tell them, hey, humble thyselves under the mighty hand of the Lord, so that in due time, not your time, not my time, that in due time He will exalt you. You know, and and. So many of us on this roster, man. Trey Flowers came from Seattle, and his his career was a little shaky this, to start this year. And we'll look what God's done. Vernon Hargrave played with him, went to Texas. His career was shaky at the beginning of this year. Cincinnati brought him in. Look what God has done. Think about Mike Daniels, veteran player just like myself on the practice squad. Yeah, some young guys on a practice squad. Have, you know, I did not get the opportunity didn't we were in a position to where they didn't have to play in a like starters didn't have to play in a Browns game, and a young guy first game being active gets a a, a scoop and score for a touchdown. And I asked him because he didn't. I don't think he suited up. You know, since then, no time in the playoffs. I asked him yesterday, "Would you trade it to play a little bit more during the regular season?" Absolutely not. With a smile on his face. So it's just it's just knowing that. God has the final say. He works in mysterious ways, and we just got to trust in him.
Yeah, so, so God has a different plan and he works in different ways. Do you hear it? See, performance is based like, well, I've done it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And, and, but what happens if you're performing and you don't get it? Well, it goes back to your foundation. And what he's, he's trying to communicate, and this is about a 15-minute thing, but what he's trying to communicate is he's communicating that actually um, what he was doing during this time is he wasn't just sitting around, but he was getting ready. He actually did that, right? Like, humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord so that in due time, so in other words, God's time, he will lift you up. See, performance can't do that. Performance is I either have or I haven't. And then if I haven't, well, then I guess I'm, that's where the self-talk starts, right? Like, I guess I stink, or I guess I'm no good. But you see, God allows certain things in our lives to work in us and also to bring him glory. To actually develop us into who we are is actually the mode of how things actually go. And so the next thing that we can do instead of perform is, is we, can actually, uh, we can actually focus on purpose, right? So everything has a purpose, absolutely everything. Like the chair that you're sitting in right now has a purpose. It's for you to sit in. That's, that's why it was designed. That's why it was made. There, there's not any other purpose for it. Uh, people may use it for different things, but it has a purpose is for you to sit in it. Like you can stand on it to change a light bulb. You can stack it. You can move it. You can lean stuff on it. But the purpose is for someone to sit in it. That's why it was made. Somehow we see things like this and we make things like this, but we as people think that we don't have a specific purpose. See, there's the general purpose of people, which is to love God and and to love others. But then there's a very specific purpose for each person's life. And when that purpose is done, you're done. That's how God made it. Look what it says about David. It was written in Acts 13. Luke wrote this about David. It It says, now when David had served God's purpose... And the word served actually means like, one way it can say is like rowed, like rowing across, across a, wake, a lake. So when, you're, when he was done rowing, row, 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 in other words, effort, like moving in. When David had served God's purpose, meaning that like what God wants, what God has, what the design is for, in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Wow. When David had served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep or he died. I mean, do you believe that? I mean, God started all this thing and then he started you. And when you're done serving God's purpose in this time, you'll be done. I mean, isn't that that important that, that we would say, God, what's my purpose? Like, why did you make me? Because we can try to serve our parents' purpose. We can try to serve our family's purpose. And there's all kinds of expectations and pressure, right? Well, you know, we've always been good at this, so I got to do this. Or uh, they want me to do this, so I got to do this. My family had all kinds of expectations on me. I had all kinds of expectations on me, and none of them included being a pastor. There was all kinds of things. But that was my purpose, to serve in this generation, is to do that. 
But it, that's not even the purpose as pastor. It's actually, I've broken it down, that it's actually, I, I help facilitate life, like real life, not like fake life, but like real lasting life that lasts for all of life for people and help people step into their purpose. That's what I keep going back to. When things get confusing, what am I doing? What is my purpose in this time? And when God's done with, with when I'm done with God's purpose and I've fulfilled it or served it in my time, I'll be done. You too. Here's the problem. It's short. It's short. And so why is it so important to find your purpose? Because that's where fulfillment is. And so if we try to find fulfillment in anything else, if we try to find joy in anything else, then we don't really get there. We're kind of like, it's kind of there, but it's not. And so Cooper Cup is a uh, receiver for the LA Rams. And in high school as a freshman, he was 112 pounds. Not, not really anything to write home about. He's a receiver, pretty good and everything, but uh, he's from Washington. Now, his dad was an NFL player. His grandpa was an NFL player. So you would think that coming out of high school, he'd have all kinds of different offers from colleges. He had a total of zero offers to play college football. None. And it wasn't just like, if you look at, there's kind of the early commitment, the really good players may commit during their, their junior year because they just have the offer and, and, and that's the time they want. Uh, or other players say, no, nah, I'm going to see what comes up my senior year. And, but there's the early signing like in November or so. And then, and then there's February signing day. You gotta, you know, that's typically when you do that by. But so Cooper Cup, he didn't have anything when he graduated. So May, June, he didn't have any offers from any schools. And then three weeks after he graduated, Eastern Washington contacted him. Like, hey, come on, we, 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 want, we want to give you a shot. Uh, he wasn't drafted in the first round. He wasn't necessarily, he was fast and good and wasn't necessarily a top prospect, but he actually ran a really poor, like, 40 time uh, in, the, in the comma. He ran like a 4-6. You're like, ah, oh, this guy's slow. And but there was the Rams who really liked him and say, hey, we, we, we hope. And he dropped because another guy ran like a 4-2, which if you don't know, is super fast. And so he, he was dropping, dropping, but he's, he's one of the top receivers in the game. And yet all this stuff was up against him. But see, all the while he focused on purpose and he's going to share it with that right now. So let's listen in. And quite the race that you've run this year. When you think back to the beginning of this year and where you are now, what do you think is the great lesson that God has taught you and shown you when you look at this year? Yeah, that's, a, that's a wonderful question. Um, I think the thing that he has taught me is that um, you, will find, you will find that you are most fulfilled, you'll find the most joy um, when you are rooted in your purpose, you know, and, and um, specifically rooted in, in his purpose for you. And, you know, that to me has been one of the best things about this year of beyond all of the, um, all the games that we won beyond all the you know, honors, accolades, whatever um, it is, you know, I've just, I, I've had so much fun being able to play this game and, you know, my, my motivation, I touched on earlier, my motivation coming in to, you know, every single day is to, run the race in such a way as to honor God um, and the passions that, and the um, talents that he has given me. And uh, when I'm rooted in that, I, I am at, I'm in a great place. I am able to play freely. 
I'm able to, um, you know, love my teammates. I'm able to um, be a better man, a better football player, a better husband, a better father um, when I'm living in that place. And, um, you know, I, I can truly, I truly believe beyond all that stuff. We had not won a game this year, um, but I had, you know, spent that time and, you know, was living in that place still of living freely. I believe I would. this would still be my, fa- the fav- my favorite year I've ever been um, a part of playing this game of football because I've been living in that place. Um, I've been enjoying every second of, you know, being a teammate to the guys that are here and, um, and just being able to honor God every time I step in this, in this facility. So uh, I think that's the, the big lesson for me. Did uh, he said when he started, you will find your most joy when you are rooted in your purpose and specifically his purpose for you, God's purpose for you. That's where you'll find your most joy. Translated, see, joy is, is greater than pleasure, like the moments of pleasure. Joy is greater than the moments of pain that we experience, the things that really shape us and move us. And his purpose, if you listen, well, what is purpose? It's relationship with God and relationship with others. That's what it always has to do with. And he's found it right in there. And you're like, well, that's easy for you. You're making millions of dollars and playing a a game, you know, and you're finding your purpose. Well, here's the deal. Playing football is actually not his purpose. His relationship with God and relationship with others are that. He could could apply that purpose in all sorts of different ways. Because here's the deal. Someday he's not going to be able to catch the way he catches. Someday he's not going to be able to run the way he runs. And so it is for you and I too. And so, you know, when somebody finds their purpose, they've done preparation, what kind of life can they live? What kind of life can they have? I, I think it's a life that's fun. I think it's a life that is at play. You know, uh, when, I, when I first became a Christian, um, I, I, had, I found two types of people um, that were Christians that would speak into my life. And uh, there was one that... Uh, I would share about my new faith in Jesus and, and what God, I felt God was doing in my life. And they were always just pounding me. They were always just saying like, well, like this one guy, and I've talked about him before, he's famous. Um, but, uh, you know, I worked with him at a gas station. He was old, and I just, I tell him, yeah, I'm really excited about God and Jesus, what he's doing in my life. Well, are you really a Christian? I'm like, I think so. Yeah, I think I, think I know him. And, and and, and he's like, well, do you know this prayer? And I'm like, no, but sounds good. And, and if you don't know this, have you done this? And it was just like this. I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm brand new to this, but I don't see what you're saying in the book. But he added all this other stuff on. It was just this harshness. And it was, it was kind of like I was in the library. You know, the, the library, some people approach God that way. Like it's in the library. And, and, and in the library, what do you got to do? Keep your nose in the book and be quiet. And it's this, just this harshness, this harshness. Are you, you just got to grind and grind and perform and you got to do this. But then um, I met others that were just all about like joy and play and fun. Like, oh, this thing of seeking after Jesus and following after him is actually a joy. Like it's this plane that takes place. So more like a playground. More like, like, you know, you remember being a kid? I, I don't know if you do. Maybe you are a kid still. Or, you know, if you're a youth, you love going to the playground. But like, we have a playground out here. And, and there's monkey bars you can swing on. And, and there's, there's swings. I mean, I mean, think about it. When's the last time 
you were on a swing or went down a slide. I mean, who, who ever told you you can't anymore? Isn't that weird? I mean, nobody ever told you you can't anymore, but you just stop it. And so when we live this life, when we actually func- uh, uh, function in our purpose and, and prepare, we can actually live a different way. And so Matthew 19, 14, Jesus says this. He says, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. So what Jesus is saying, he's, he's describing to us what it's like when you are in his kingdom and the heart that it takes to be a part of his kingdom. But what did Jesus do? Like his disciples were like, oh, Jesus wouldn't want to see the kids. And Jesus like, no, let them come to me. What did Jesus do when he was with them? Did he make them get serious? When he say, don't play anymore? Don't play games anymore? Get serious? No. He, what, what did he do? He let them play. And he probably played with them. And so that's the end result. And that's like with, uh, with Cooper Cup. I saw another interview and he talked about this. He just said, you know, when I prepare, when I'm focused on my purpose, I just can play. And that's the best of the best. They're not focused on performing because they've prepared, they know their purpose, and they're just out there playing. That's in these great moments that you see in games. You sit there and say, oh, wow, how did they know that? They're just playing, they're just tossing the ball and catching the ball. They're just blocking, they're just doing the, but they prepared so much, they're sure of who they are that they can just play. I mean, that's all that it is. And so we can do that in life too. You know, uh, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, he said, for the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty or or liberty, like being able just to go and roam and play. So that's God's heart for us, you guys, is that we would be able just to live a life of play. Like, can you imagine being just that secure that when you looked at life, when you looked out at things that, and I know there's pressures. I mean, you got to perform at your job and you got to get things done and, and you got to pay the bills and all those things. But I don't know. I think it's kind of our choice. You know, I can put it all on me and I can put it all on like the library. Come on. Or I can say, wow, I have a God that loves me that isn't far off. He didn't say, hey, come to me and maybe I let you in. But he says, I've come to you. I've come to you in such a way that I've come to you with my son. I've come to you with myself and loved you in such a way that you know how I feel about you. I mean, we can approach, I mean, how do we approach life then? How do we live then? I think we play. Like, what if your job, you said, well, it's not the library anymore, it's playing. You know, what if you did school that way? What if you did sports that way? Just that confident that God is with you. It's difficult though, right? It's difficult because this sounds good, but for some of us today, there's a barrier. Like there's a barrier, there's a hard place. Uh, Maybe it's unbelief or maybe, uh, you know, you just can't get over something or you just have this... uh, you have this doubt, or maybe, maybe you're taken by something. You know, maybe you're like, yeah, I'd love for Jesus to take me, but something has me. Maybe it's an addiction. Uh, maybe it's something that somebody did to you. Maybe it's something that you did to yourself. Maybe you can't forgive somebody. Maybe, maybe you can't forgive yourself. I don't know. So uh, this last video, 
It's, uh, it's by uh, Miles McPherson. He doesn't play football now. Uh, he played for the Chargers in the 80s. And uh, when I first became a Christian, uh, he was actually, he was my youth pastor. So he had, he had become a Christian and then uh, he uh, uh, stopped playing professional football to, um, to be a pastor. And so he was my youth pastor. And so it was fun because his brother played for the Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles at the time. And, and when they would come in town to play the Chargers and other players, he'd, he'd always bring them to church. And so I got to be around a lot of different uh, NFL athletes because they would come and hang out there and stuff, and, including him. And, uh, but he shares a little bit of his testimony here. And he shares how God did something that he couldn't, that he wanted more, he wanted a change, but God was able to do that in him, even though he, he could have kept trying his whole life but then God was able to finally do it. So let's, let's watch it together. Grew up in Long Island, New York. My mother was a nurse, father was a cop. We weren't rich, weren't poor, uh, but we had a whole bunch of fun. I didn't go to a Division I school. I was not recruited by a Division I school. So I ended up at a Division III school, which was like a glorified high school, and thus didn't think I was good enough. My freshman year, we were uh, six and three, first winning season. My second year, we were undefeated. Third year, I was the first All-American. And then my fourth year, I got drafted. I didn't know God, but I just knew in my heart I was going to play in the NFL and that my life was going to mean something. I kept telling my coaches that. I had a coach mocking me behind my back, telling other players I'll never make it. I was too small, too slow, too short. But that just motivated me to keep working. My senior year, my coach made a flyer and put my picture on it, my stats, and he sent it to every NFL team every week. And not one team came to see me play. But after the season, we got calls from about five teams, and they came and watched film. And the Los Angeles Rams says, you know, we're going to draft you if, we, if in the late rounds you're available. And we have everything we want, we're going to draft you. I said, don't, don't mess with me. When I got to the NFL, I walked into a hotel room with some guys on the team, I was a rookie, and it was one of those peer pressure things, you know, fitting in, and, and it was about six guys in the hotel room. I didn't know what we were going in there for, and they just pulled out cocaine. I was like, oh, man. I saw everybody else doing it, and I said, well, this can't be that bad. I knew it was wrong, and I knew it was dangerous, but, you know, I lived on the edge. One day, my buddy took me to a crack house, and I said, I want to go watch the guy make crack. So I went into this bathroom, and I sat in this little tiny bathroom, and there was this guy in there with a white tank top, shriveled up, skinny. You know, he was like a skeleton. And I remember looking, in the, looking at him going, man, that pitiful guy. You know, this, this drugs is killing him. And then I looked in the mirror, and God said, what about you? He was in your seat not that long ago. And my buddy opened up the door, and, you know, they gave the crack to the drug dealer and my buddy, and my buddy stood this far away from me and smoked crack. And I remember his eyes just kind of rolling back into his head. And I thought he was going to die right in front of me. And he asked me, did I want some? And, and I said, nah. And he said, you're strong. I said, no, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm not strong. I'm scared. <laughs> you know, that was one of the wake-up calls for me because I went into the other room by myself in this dark room and did cocaine by myself. And it's like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm in the NFL. I'm living my dream, and I'm destroying it. And I would look myself in the mirror and audibly say, don't put the powder in your nose. I would say those words to myself in the mirror, and then I would put the powder in my nose. And to think that I couldn't stop, you know, how far is this going to take me, and what, you know, what is going to happen to me? 
I got to a point where I realized that I was throwing away the best opportunity I had. And I just woke up and said, I can't do this anymore. And I just kept saying, God, one more day. One more day, I want to party one more day. There's going to be that party. There's going to be that experience that's going to make me fulfilled and, and make me happy. And, and every day I was like, I just got to hold out for that. And it never came. And there were some guys on my team who shared the gospel with me. So April 12th, 1984, five o'clock in the morning, I had been up all night and I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to give God the commitment I've given football, the commitment I've given drugs, the commitment I've given fun. I'm going to give God that commitment. And I said, I'm, I'm going to give my life to you today. I had to come to a point where I had to make a decision that I was going to be committed to doing the right thing and following Jesus. And I did. Over time of going through ups and downs of life, you come to learn that he is reliable. He's 100% trustworthy. Yeah, so the message there is like, Cody, why do you, why do you share that with us? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think a bunch of you guys are doing cocaine. Is that, is that, is that, is that the purpose? No. It's, that, it's that, that story of somebody like taken by something where something is hanging back. And, you know, it, that's kind of like what a lot of people think, that it's like, oh, well, Christianity is about like, you know, don't drink, don't chew, or hang out with boys that do. You know, it's just like that sort of thing. No, it's about like really coming alive, really becoming who God made you to be. And did you catch what he said? I decided that I would give God the same commitment that I did football. I would give God the same commitment that I did fun, that I would give God the same commitment I, I did these things. And it's interesting. That's the, that's the catch. We give so much of ourselves to so many other things, but then what about God? You know, like, what can God do with your life if you surrender to him completely? And it's a complete call. Like, I, I love this, the words that we sang earlier that, um, uh, you know, you call me to deep, deep waters over and over again. And then basically, I finally, until I find out who I am, you say to yourself, well, isn't it we find out who God is? Yeah, we find out who God is, but, but God's work in us is to find out who we are. Like, you are a carrier of light and love. The Bible says that the church, the followers of Jesus Christ, if that's who you are, or if you're looking in today, like, hey, what's it like to follow Jesus? You become salt and light to the world. Salt, that which pervert, preserves, that which makes right, which makes strong, which makes whole, that heals, and light, that brings light into darkness. That is what the church of Jesus Christ is. And that every person is a carrier of this light and love, like that you, as a follower of Jesus, are able to change absolutely every single situation that you walk into. It doesn't matter how dark. That all the things that you see across the earth as a follower of Jesus, that, that you walk into that just as a follower of Jesus, not because of your own abilities or your own experiences, but because of God's life in you, that when you step into that, every situation can change. 
You say, you say to yourself, well, how can I have such meaning and purpose in life? All of you for all of him. And there's moments over and over where you say, I give myself to you again. There's moments where you say, God, take my heart back. I don't want it again. I want you to have it. But that's the continuous call. The continuous call is the, God, here's my heart. Here's my life. Here's where it is. And the amazing thing is you will have great victories in what you do. Don't do it for that. But you want to excel at your sport. You want to excel at your job. You want to excel at life. You want to excel at your family. You want to excel at those things. Invite God into that with your life. You'll do great. Those are the benefits. Don't do it for that. But you'll be amazed what God can do in your life. I mean, think of the people right now that need light, that need love, that are hurting, that need hope. As a follower of Jesus, you walk into that and bring What purpose, what amazing purpose in life. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.